All right, we're going to get started with the webinar here today, Pandemic Investment Strategies, Seven Models and Case Studies that You Can Use for Growing Your Investment Firm or Your Productivity as an Investor. My name is Richard C. Wilson. I'm the founder of the Family Office Club. We're going to be going through some slides today. Every time we do these webinars, we get a dozen questions. Are we recording this? Yes, just triple check that. So we are recording. We're uh, going to be sending you the slides as well. Um, we'll probably get that out to you tomorrow with the, uh, the slides and the recorded version of this webinar. Uh, sometimes we have people in the side chat trying to pitch or sell something. Um, I get that you want to connect with the other people, but just to make this more valuable for others, as I'm going through the slides and strategies, if you have a strategy that's related to the other strategies I'm talking about at that point in time, if you could just share your number one piece of advice, your number one strategy, without it being a big pitch fest or trying to sell what your firm offers. If you do have something that you're, you're selling, then that would be great. I think that would just add value to people here in the webinar and get even more ideas to everyone here listening and watching. We will do Q&A. Sometimes I know these webinars go a bit long. We had one that was an hour and 47 minutes long because the Q&A went on for an hour. We're gonna try to get today's done in one hour flat you know, probably won't happen, but we're going to try to do that just to make sure that these don't get too long and that people can't actually watch the full thing. So I'm going to share my screen now so we can go through the PowerPoint slides, but thanks for joining us here today for this. All right. So for today's presentation, we're going to be going through strategies that, that I'm using, that my clients are using, things that um, are going to be relevant to, I think, most people here um, on, the, on the webinar. And the idea is to get across many different ideas, because I know 20% of them won't be relevant at all. 20% might not be relevant for you, but it might be for a client or a family member. So just like all of our content, we're going to try to rush through a whole bunch of things instead of focus on one idea for a full hour. I already mentioned that uh, my name is Richard Wilson, founder of the Family Office Club. Many of you know us through our different books, through uh, familyoffices.com, by being maybe you're a member already of the Family Office Club. Uh, we've had a thousand family offices speak on stage at our live events and our virtual events. We have over 2,000 investors registered with us as members. We also have helped start over 100 family offices. We have 96 investors that we are helping allocate into direct investments. We actually onboarded four new investor clients that just signed their agreements with us. Uh, just today, we onboarded four new clients. And in the last uh, seven weeks, we've had four of them place capital into deals. So people say, you know, is capital getting raised right now? Are deals getting done? You know, the answer is yes. Just in our little small corner of the world, you know, we've had uh, four or five different allocations over the last seven weeks. And it looks like we have another dozen or so coming down the pipe. So if you're not familiar with us, if it's your first webinar, first experience with the Family Office Club, you can check out the full benefits of joining at familyoffices.com. I'm not gonna go through that in great detail here. In a sentence, we've got 130, 150 capital raising strategies, daily investor mandate interviews uh, being uploaded to the portal every single day. We also do weekly virtual invest investor discussion panels and just help you with pitch deck coaching and coaching on your materials. If you're an investor, we help you get access to the best of the best deal flow we see by speaking to 45,000 professionals a year through my 14 person team, you know, we're connecting with 500 plus people every single day. So every single business day at least, so we can help you get access to the best of best of our deal flow, um, which takes a lot of time and energy by my team and a lot of capital as well to spend to get access to that much flow. So on the homepage, you'll be able to see all the different types of investor mandates we have within the portal. Uh, if you're raising capital, this can help you connect with other investors. If you're an investor, it helps you connect with your peers. If you want to, as an investor, plug into our deal flow, this other website is not for people raising capital. It's just for investors, and it's called privateequity.com, and that's just us helping source deals for our active investors. Many of you are on our Family Office podcast. You might be listening to this through our podcast right now. We've gotten 44,000 downloads to the podcast in the last 30 days, so I encourage you to subscribe there and check that out. We're publishing one, two episodes every single day. Um, I always like to start out the podcast just, or these webinars just sharing that uh, the ideas come from the last 13 years running the Family Office Club, not based on one person or one interview. 
It's based on really seeing the view of the forest over a long period of time. And today we're gonna to be focused on what I've been learning by interviewing 45 investors one-on-one -on -one over the last six weeks. I've also have 92 investor clients that are active and I'm managing them and working with them to help them source deal flow. We've had well over 2000 live participants. Now it's getting closer to 3000 participants just in the last six weeks um, through our virtual panels and webinars. The virtual investor panels are only for members. The webinars are public by the way. Um, we've also had about 600 investment professional conversations per day. Uh, so what we're doing is taking the smartest ideas we've found from all those conversations and including them here in this presentation. So the seven ideas are digital due diligence, alternative investment strategies, distressed acquisitions, filling equity gaps, digital non-herd strategies, launching one to three experiments, resource investing. Um, and for each of those seven strategies, we're gonna go through and I'm gonna provide you with three to seven different examples, case studies and points to make it very specific. Um, just seeing the words alternative investment strategies doesn't add any value, I realize. It's when we get to that slide, it'll go into the part that actually adds value. The last thing I'll mention here in terms of pandemic investment strategies is really just the importance of uh, investing in your health. When I was in uh, Harvard doing some ALM uh, master's level psychology program courses, there was a happiness teacher and he said that he had a magic pill and if you would just take his prescription that you would be smarter, more relaxed, happier, healthier, live longer, have more energy, and who wants to take that? Everyone raised their hand and said, well, it's quite simple. You just sleep for eight hours a night and exercise a little bit every day and eat natural stuff that isn't processed, and there you go. Um, so no one wants to come on a webinar and hear that. It's not a health webinar, but you know, investing in your own health, obviously in times of a pandemic is even more important keeping your own immune system strong. Otherwise, none of these ideas are gonna matter if you can't stay healthy. So that's all we're gonna talk about when it comes to health and nutrition. But I find that a lot of the ultra wealthy don't focus enough on that. So I just wanna bring that up as a point, just uh, in cases of family office or an investor, you need to dial in your health to really optimize that. All right, first idea here, digital due diligence. So I've been thinking a lot about what is this new reality we live in? We thought maybe things would go back to normal by Easter by May 1st. You know, it turns out, you know, according to many people, it might not go back to normal until not only they have a vaccine that's approved, but healthcare workers, essential workers will get the vaccine first, maybe elderly. And then once the mass public gets the vaccine, my, things might become a bit more normal. We might be two, two and a half years away from anything that resembles what we used to think was normal. So what does that mean? How are investors going to allocate capital? A lot of investors are sitting on a lot of cash. Just from today's calls, talking to investors that are sitting on $5 million, $20 million in cash, looking at what they should do with it. And so what we have to think about is that conviction and high trust is how deals get done. That used to be done in person almost always for any check size at $75,000, $100,000 or more, almost always had to meet in person. Um, now to get deals done, people are going to rely upon relationships they already had, people they already did meet in person or assets local to them, or a geographical area or region they're already familiar with, or an industry they're already familiar with. Where you are already on the trust curve with someone now just became that much more important because it's gonna be harder to move up the trust curve of trust in yourself and your team. So you have to look for ways to do that. One idea is to have your whole team on a Zoom call where you have 12 different you know, video boxes and then an investor comes on or someone comes on and they get to meet your whole team. You go through and have the division heads introduce themselves, have the people raise their hand if you explain what each person does. They get to kind of virtually meet your team. You can walk them around your office uh, once they're able to actually go back to work there and show them where you operate, maybe show them some of the people that, that are back to work once that happens at least. But also I have some other ideas here for you. A three to seven minute teaser video introducing the strategy from the founder. Everybody asked for this at our events. Nobody ever wants to provide it. We've reviewed 350 pitch decks. Zero of them had a video from the founder explaining their strategy. Doing a recording of references for investors. These are not testimonials you show publicly. These are things to put in your data room so that a serious investor is about to pull the trigger who says, well, do you have any references I could check? And you can say yes. And not only do we have their name and phone number and email address, but they have liked us enough. They were willing to get on a Zoom call and record the video talking about their experience of how they sourced our deal, how they got to know us, how long they took doing due diligence, what their biggest concerns were, why they ended up investing, how they've been treated since then. 
And if you can get four to seven of those in place, um, then I think that would be powerful and something that most people don't bother to do. Uh, the next idea here, to do a video walkthrough of the tangible asset. I've got some pictures here, if you're following along visually, of uh, an oil and gas well. Maybe you have a high-tech device that goes on there and that's what you're raising capital for. Um, or maybe that's something you're looking to invest in or maybe a manufacturing uh, plant of some type. And so just asking those, if you're an investor going to invest in something, just asking someone to record this type of a video to actually see the manufacturing floor and actually see how the device works in the real world if you can't go there in person is a somewhat obvious thing to have. But I find that many people don't have that. I know many 400 million and $2 billion uh, assets under management groups, I'm thinking off, off the top of my head that I connected with this week, and they don't have anything that I'm talking about on this page. These are people managing $2 billion and nothing on this page costs more than $25,000. Most of these ideas cost nothing at all. Next idea here is to create personalized video messages to investors um, or addressing frequently asked questions within a video. So it could be that whenever you give a presentation, you get the same seven to 10 questions. Well, then you should probably adjust your presentation so it cuts them off at the pass and takes those objections or those questions or those worries off the table. But there might be some things that are not appropriate to put in the main presentation and you could record a webinar on frequently asked questions and invite your investor prospects on to watch it live um, or do it so that it's just recorded if you feel more comfortable doing that and edit it and then have that be in your data room or sent out to investors who are on the edge of investing versus not. Uh, it's also something you could ask you know, for someone to produce for you if you're an investor. Um, the other thing you could do is a webinar recording. I know one uh, investment group that's doing this on Friday this week, they're inviting their potential investors live, they're going to go through their full pitch, answer questions live, record that, send that to other potential investors and use it for future leads that opt in to learn more about their strategy. Um, I also know of a few different groups, I know three different people that have created little short documentary videos. They get a TV quality crew to record either where they were brought up, where they started their business, the evolution of their business, maybe what they did in stage one and how the business was created and what their secret sauce is really all about. And by creating that documentary style video, it can be more captivating when it's really well produced. And this might be something that doesn't make sense unless you're raising $5 million or more, uh, I would say. But if you are raising five, 10, $20 million or more in the next 18 months to two years, then I would invest the money to get a documentary story produced um, to help kind of explain and capture the attention in a different way. Because other people are not doing that. Um, like I said, no one's even doing point number one of having an introduction from the founder over video. So this is far above and beyond. But if you really wanted to dial things in and make up for the fact that you can't meet in person, then I feel like you need to pull out all the stops and use every strategy that you can find to build trust, build conviction, build relationships in this type of a new environment. So it's not about, in my mind, it's not either or like, oh yeah, we'll be, we'll be ahead of most people by doing point number one. Well, being ahead of most people might mean that you still don't raise much capital. So you want to be way ahead of most people. The next part here is to organize your data room. Make sure you can invite your spouse or your college kid to look at the data room and make sense of it. And, they know, and maybe they know little uh, about your space. Find someone who's not an expert in your space and have them navigate the data room and see if they can make sense of it. Is it organized well? Is there a walkthrough video for it? Are there instructions? Are things labeled correctly? Or is it just 80 different files dumped into there without guidance to a specific file? They're just completely lost. Also, I'd encourage uh, digital onboarding of clients in, in part of the due, due diligence process. So when you're engaging an investor, have them go through not just a DocuSign, but maybe a whole onboarding process sequence that can be embedded in uh, your website. We've had a lot of uh, success doing this. And in the same amount of time, actually in less time last year, where we onboarded 13 clients, we were able to onboard 93 clients uh, in less time because of a digital onboarding process. And we used to do things via PDF contract and literally make them print it out and sign the dang thing. And, and we realized that was inefficient. So we went to DocuSign and then we went to embedding it into a website process to become a client. And it just makes it so much easier for the client to get onboarded. Um, I would also look, if you're an investor, at groups that have been able to put together parts of what we're talking about here, because if you can't get high conviction, you know, you shouldn't invest in something. If you're not sure about it and, you know, subconsciously there's something that's bothering you about it, then you really shouldn't move forward and just trust your gut on it because it's probably something telling you to be careful or to, to watch out as some sort of warning sign you found or you feel like you just don't have enough information. 
Second slide here of ideas is related to alternative investment strategies. So this isn't just about one strategy, um, and it's not just about the idea of, oh, just, just invest in alternatives, because that can mean all sorts of things. These are the strategies that my clients are looking at and asking for most often. Um, I would say number one is actually life settlements has been the most popular. Uh, we've had the most allocations to that, the most interest in that right now. Um, we've also had a lot of interest in income in lending related strategies. Before the returns on hard money loans, we got beaten down into the single digit realm and now they've gone back up into double digits. And now, you know, even traditional debt, uh, business loans, et cetera, unless it's a government, you know, backed SBA loan, like a PPP loan, uh, lots of banks have cut off funding. So someone could own real estate and they don't want to go through the hassle of dealing with their bank or their bank's not lending now, but they need capital for their operating business. You might be able to lend to the operating business with the collateral of the real estate back in that investment and get a decent or a good return and maybe even an equity warrant uh, on the operating business or a piece of equity on the operating business as well. I find that investors like those types of strategies in this type of a situation. Uh, life settlements is attractive because it's not related to the stock market or real estate or interest rates or you know, US versus China, et cetera. Um, it's really separate from those things in terms of its returns. Same with litigation financing. In both of these cases, uh, litigation financing, you're betting on a case being one or not, and hopefully many times it's many different cases within a portfolio, so you don't have a binary return. But with both of these investments, typically it can be dangerous if you're just investing in one life settlement, in one legal case, typically you want 10, 20, 30, 200 plus uh, being exposed within a portfolio, but that can be very hard to find um, and hard to arrange. So I think investors have, have challenges there. Gross revenue royalty structures are of interest because if a company is growing very quickly, they might be reinvesting in inventory, getting a larger warehouse space. That might mean not a lot of profit dividends, but if you're getting 1% gross revenue royalty or 3%, then you're getting money off the top and you can be getting your money back right away versus later. Vertically integrated operating businesses. These are ones that can survive a, a bad time more easily because they're making money off of two or three different mechanics in the business, not just off of one. So I think that these types of businesses are always seen as, or typically seen as more smart if they're producing more profit, more stability, and you're cutting out some of the interaction friction that you have between maybe a supply chain group cutting you off. Well, if you're the manufacturer of that, then you prevent being cut off from packaging or from a certain type of raw material. So vertically integrated operating businesses I've seen have more interest. Uh, distressed investment firms that have always done distressed investments, but now it's kind of their time to shine because they know how to source these, work through them, structure them, raise capital for them. Groups that have a track record doing this already and can point to that with a consistent team, I think are going to win right now. I know one group that just raised um, already $100 million of their $200 million goal just in the last 10 days. Um, investing against heard when it comes to stocks is something I hear investors talking about. Dan Kennedy always said, uh, you know, to do the opposite of everyone else if you're not sure what to do. So, you know, he would say to look at certain types of uh, consumer behavior or certain types of, we'll get to on our, our seventh tip, a type of consumer behavior you can go against to use that advice. But, you know, many, many investors I'm talking to are saying, well, you know, a lot of people have sold off the market when do we put in 10%? When do we put in 20%? And because everyone's selling, maybe it's a good time for us to buy. So we don't really specialize in stocks for the stock market here. So I don't want to go into that too deep, but it is something that comes up with investors of, you know, what percent to put in and to always do it in stages, not all in or all out typically. Uh, dental practices, we've looked at a couple of those recently have been of interest. And then two franchise businesses that um, have healthy returns or healthy uh, profits coming out of them. Um, now they've been hit by the crisis, but they've got a large enough platform that even if it does take a year and a half, two years to come back, they could survive that, acquire some competitors and, and be stronger after that. Um, but I would say the top, top half of this list is getting a lot more attention than the bottom half, but these are the types of investments that our clients are either asking for or kind of reviewing in real time right now. All right, the next type of idea I wanna talk about here are distressed acquisitions. So this is relatively straightforward. I'm sure many people have thought about, you know, buying something that's, that's distressed right now. Before I even go over these, I think some people might have a bad taste in their mouth and just say like, oh, you know, 
this is like a vulture strategy or is taking advantage of people. Um, in many cases, it's really the opposite. Um, if you don't help them and make that distressed investment, then they might lose 100% of their equity and the, the asset goes to the bank. They might lose everything they worked for. So there's a way to structure deals like a vulture and there's a ways to structure it so that you can be helpful to them and make it a win for both you and them. And by the way, if you structure it in a way that's good and respects them and it's good for them and you, then they're more likely to say yes, of course. They could go and get offers from other people. They're not locked into only your one offer or, or anyone's offer, or they could just keep the asset if they don't want to sell it. So it's not really manipulation. It's, it's something's worth what the market's willing to pay for it. And so if no one else is willing to pay anything for it and they have only one offer on the table, then yeah, they might not have much of a choice they feel like, but they could go out and get other offers and they could you know, do other things or they could give up the asset and let it go bankrupt, et cetera. So it can be a better alternative than other facts that are facing them at this time. So I'm gonna give a bunch of uh, examples of this because there's different scenarios I found that aren't just as simple as, oh, this company's struggling, you know, now you can invest at a lower valuation. That's, that's the most deadly obvious one. The first one is a company that I invested in once. I got my money back out of it. Um, I like them, but the management had trouble. They then closed down operations seemingly uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. I emailed them once because I was interested in maybe buying 100% of the company now, like the assets of the company and the rights to it. And um, they said, oh, no, we're, we're going to start back up. We're doing okay. We'll, we'll make it through this. We'll just have a temporary pause. Well, two years later now, they haven't started back up. The economy's horrible. Whatever they're doing for income now, maybe that also hasn't gone well. Maybe they've gotten laid off from a job. Maybe they would appreciate cash right now more than they did a year and a half, two years ago when I reached out. And so we reached out to them and hoping to hear back about you know, acquiring, acquiring their assets. So that's not one that did poorly in this company because of the virus, it's that they already had closed down, but now the value of cash on hand is worth more. And if you have some cash on hand, then it can be a wise time to spend it, uh, part of it, because it'll go further for you. People might say yes that said no before. Another example is a piece of intellectual property uh, we've been trying to acquire. Uh, they wanted $950,000 for it. It came down to $650,000 um, in January 1st, and they offered a payment plan to, to get it if we wanted to. And we said, no, we're not interested in a payment plan. You know, we really think this is only worth 300, 350. Uh, so now we're going back to them now that it's during the crisis and saying like, well, I don't know if among your other asset holdings, if you have a good place to deploy $350,000, but would be interested in acquiring that piece of intellectual property at the same price we said it was worth before the 350,000. We're not discounting what we think it's worth, but perhaps you guys are more open to this idea because you can deploy that capital somewhere and make a good return on it. Next idea here is a company that uh, I've known for um, five years. It's been kind of pretty steadily growing, not rapidly growing, but growing to a good size, doing a couple million in revenue. And we knew them since they launched the product essentially. And we reached out to them recently and they said, yeah, well, we're not in trouble. We're doing okay, but we've really been ignoring this product. And it turns out it's essential to um, another company that I've invested in and it um, can supplement their product lines. And so what I found is that even if you're wrong, you reach out and say, oh, maybe they don't appreciate cash more. Maybe they're not distressed. By reaching out and starting that conversation, it could result in a deal getting done or an acquisition by a company that just has synergies with it and can fold the one company's manufacturing and operations into the other. So that's happened to us um, just this last week. Um, another one is a group that is up in there, it's a company that I invested in that's up 30% in revenue. And we're basically have asked them, okay, it's not distressed, it's the opposite, it's doing well. But we've asked them, you know, how could we help you grow? How could we help you in, you know, growing through a joint venture or launching a wholesale division uh, of your firm and taking advantage of the fact that maybe other companies are distressed, not theirs, but maybe other companies can't get access to the raw materials they could provide other companies by going wholesale. So it's taking advantage of the distressed situation through a healthy company and helping that company grow further. Another example is a family member of mine that's working on a seven-figure deal. Um, he heard a company, they heard a company were shutting their doors and they were closing down and calling it quits. And they reached out and said, no, I'd like to acquire your brand, acquire your assets, let's strike a deal. And the person had literally decided just to walk away from the business. So that's good for everybody. Uh, next example here is, I mean, obviously it's worse 
than if the virus had never came. But let's face it, it's here. That's the reality. So in this new reality, that's better than walking away from the, the company. Uh, we have a family office club member negotiating a deal with five other investors um, all coming to the table, but four of the investors pulled, there's just one investor at the table. So now they're saying, well, what terms do you want? Because we need to get this deal done. And they're, they're just open to, open to negotiating a lot more than they were before. So those are some examples of distressed investments related to intellectual property, acquiring a company that could be distressed or could not be, could not be distressed right now, but because of the current environment, uh, if you're more proactive in reaching out, you might create new opportunities that, that weren't there before. Okay, the next strategy is filling LP balance sheet gaps. So an LP is a passive investor in someone else's deal. Um, it's basically a private investor gap that people have. So many people were about to close a deal and now the closing date got delayed, the lending got pulled, they had to find a new lender. Um, perhaps everything's on pause till they find enough investors. Maybe they've gone hard on the money and if they miss their closing date, they're gonna lose that money um, if they don't get enough investors to the table to close the deal. And so there's many, many ways to take advantage of this if you're an investor or an investment firm. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that some firms are offering you an incentive if you invest. So you might get a 1% or 3% boost uh, or a rebate on your capital invested by investing now because the investment firms say, well, you know, don't wait till July or August because we have this deal closing now and we're getting a better valuation by closing now or this is a really great deal. So let's just push through, get it done, and reward you for taking that little bit more risk. We're going to give you a little bit more reward and give you X percent back on day one or on day 30, et cetera. Uh, another idea here is that if someone is raising capital for a deal and maybe they need 40% of their LP base to be filled still uh, or larger, you could come in and say, well, we'll fill the whole slug of it but we want performance only fees or we want you to do it and have a higher hurdle and a lower performance fee than normal. I think people are up for negotiation right now more than they were before. And so investors can use that to their advantage um, if they can write a meaningful enough ticket. You might not have much leverage if you're bringing 50,000 or $100,000 to the table, but if you're able to invest a quarter million, half million, a million or more, uh, then you have much more leverage. I know a few investment firms that uh, need stand-in equity partners where they come in at the GP level um, for the banks to qualify for lending and say, hey, I'll put my name, my personal guarantee on the line. Many people say and swear by never doing personal guarantees. You know, um, other people do them all the time. But I've heard of several occasions where investment firms say they'll give 10 to 20% equity in the project or 10 to 20% of all fees on the carry earned by the investment manager in return for standing in on the deal, meaning that they put their name on the dotted line saying that, you know, we guarantee to make good on this loan on this investment. And they don't put any cash in. They're just putting their balance sheet on the line. So it takes a lot of trust in the investment manager and in the deal, of course. But then the invest, investor is getting a 10 to 20% equity stake and they're not investing any capital or 10 to 20% share fees without investing any capital. That could be a pretty good potential return if you are okay one day owning that asset as needed. And if you have a sophisticated attorney helping you navigate that structure, so you're not left without a chair with all the risk and not an appropriate amount of upside for taking that risk. Uh, the last idea here is just reduced fees, no fees, co-GP options. People are just more flexible overall because it's harder to get investors to commit right now. But I know many who have gotten deals done that said they had no problem closing their deal. Um, I know several members who are, are having a struggle you know, closing their deals. So um, the ideas we covered here on the first slide, digital due diligence, those are ideas to help you get more momentum uh, and help investors who are trying to conduct digital due diligence. But then these other ideas are really investor and investment ideas to apply. All right, the next idea here is a digital non-herd strategy. So it's pretty obvious, you know, it's obvious six weeks ago that companies that can be direct to consumer, digital, you know, deliver things to your door, obviously gonna do much better than something that can't even open their doors right now. Um, that doesn't need to be said, but um, each of us have things that we could do that are digital within our businesses. Um, most of us do at least that would help grow the business. But I found that the trick is the winners are really doing things that few other people are or nobody else can do. Um, so it's making them really unique. And this could be related to 
choke points, which we've talked about, could be related to a niche strategy or your niche uh, investor target audience. It could be related to an idea that you have been putting off. Um, and I found that right now is, is a great time to be moving forward on the several ideas that maybe you've been putting off because oh, I don't have enough time or I've been traveling too much or I'm too busy meeting with investors all the time. Um, well, now you can deploy those ideas. It might be doing something that's very specific. Like let's say you do litigation funding or you're raising real estate capital from business owners in your local area. Whatever the niche is, you can start providing content via direct mail, via video, via podcast, or start adding value to them in unique ways that no one else is doing and just go deep on that approach and you'll separate yourself from everybody else and it'll build a higher level of trust even if you can't meet in person in the short term. So some examples of this is thinking through um, an idea I had for a niche within private equity uh, to help with the valuation of businesses in the area because if you're helping people value their business, some of those people are gonna go on to sell their business. That's why they needed to value it. They sell their business. They could be a good investor for me to be working with also, if they're valuing their business and the business looks excellent and it looks to be a fit for one of my 96 investors, then it could be something that could be a piece of deal flow um, for one of our investors. It also could be its own business division and create revenue and create profits. So that's an example. Imagine you have the number one valuation service in a niche where you're trying to get more deal flow. That could be pretty interesting to develop as a digital strategy. You don't need to meet in person for some types of valuation. Uh, we talked about a niche within a niche strategy. Um, I also want to, you know, and one example of that I have here down is number six is the doctor's family office. It's doing our investor work for dentists and doctors. We've got two dentists and doctor investor clubs that we're plugged into under contract now. And then we have, we're serving five dentists and doctors already. And we're onboarding another couple uh, this week. We also are, uh, our version of implementing this strategy on the slide here related to not doing what the herd is doing is interviewing one investor every single day. What I found is that the investors who say yes to those interviews uh, are ones that have been on our email list for a decade, but they haven't been able to come speak at a live event. They're investors who have appreciated some of the other content we put out or have one of our books, or they're investors who have spoken at our events recently, um, but they, we don't have anything recorded just with their mandate for seven minutes. And that's what we're doing is a daily interview every single day with investors to capture their mandate and put it up into the member portal. And that's something that we had been talking about since late Q3, Q4 last year. And we put it off because we were too busy and we thought it was an excellent idea, but just didn't pull the trigger fast enough. So when the virus hit, you know, it took us about a day and a half of brainstorming and we came up with three ideas to move forward with. And that was one of them that we thought would add unique value. Another uh, example of it is doing the uh, member spotlight interviews. Uh, Ellie on our team, uh, handles these and setting these up, but we do a seven minute interview with our members uh, and it's a, it's a sponsored, it costs a couple thousand dollars, but we do a interview and feature what is your one liner? What do you do at your firm? What's kind of your secret sauce? What's your number one tip to investors who are looking to invest in your space? Uh, maybe number one due diligence question they never ask and they should be asking. And then we put that out on YouTube, the podcast, et cetera. These actions that we're taking, the investor mandate interviews and the member spotlights, get us more deal flow, get us more investor interaction. And with some of the member spotlight videos, they're assets we can use to show investors the quality of ideas we have coming through the investor club. So they function for us in many different ways. If you can think about digital ways for you to do the same, whether you're an investor and you want to get out there to get more deal flow coming towards you, be seen as the strategic investor in the auto parts space or a stem cell space, et cetera, that can be a way to interpret all of this. Uh, or for someone who's an investment management firm, it could be to source distressed deals, source investors, build your intelligence and your network uh, through executing on some ideas like this. Gary Vaynerchuk says um, that he loves things that are tedious because no one else wants to do them. And I'll tell you today, we recorded two investor mandate interviews, onboarded four new investor clients. Now I'm on here on the webinar. I don't think I've worn a suit jacket and suit shirt this much in 13 years since I started my business. Um, because we live on an, an island where we don't usually wear a full suit to work, um, but I'm on Zoom non, nonstop, and it is a lot of work, but I think that that means very few people on planet Earth are going to want to do that and are going to want to produce that type of value. So whatever niche you're in as an investor or an investment management firm, if you find a strategy that plays to your strengths and you know that your potential audience that you're trying to attract would value it, 
it's a good thing if it's tedious. It's a good thing if it takes a lot of elbow grease and work. Um, some of you might not have a lot of capital to invest and all you have, have is elbow grease. And that's how I started my business. So that's kind of part of our DNA and why we're doing what we're doing right now. Oh, I just want to mention, we had a really great investor discussion panel a couple of days ago on Friday. We had five different angel investors on there. Uh, each week, we have different types of investors on the panels, um, but they're a lot of fun. We've got people uh, who call in live and listen in live from our membership, and they get to interact with the investors in real time there. And then we help connect you to any of those investors you'd like to get connected to. And uh, Jennifer on our team helps make sure that you can get those connections and get their contact details. We don't pay any of them to come on the webinar. We don't pay anyone to do a mandate interview. They just come because they want to get access to deals. So if you're an investor and you want to do one of those interviews or be on one of those panels, just let us know. Uh, shoot us a note and then we can see if there's an appropriate one for you. All right, the next idea here is experimental new divisions. So it could be that there's a whole new company or a new division or subsidiary that you should start up to deal with the virus crisis and invest in. It could be that it's not your company, it's your brother-in-law's company, it's one of your clients, you've always admired what they're doing, and maybe they're stable right now or doing better than ever, and you see some opportunity for them to go in a new direction. And this just happened today, actually. I spoke to an insurance company with a smart model where they were arbitraging one investment to get access into another investment, and there was a pretty good spread there. But last year, I invested in a fintech company that is uh, lending out money at a 29% rate, and the spread between what they're lending at and what this other insurance company can arbitrage at is massive. And so I sent the email to the FinTech company CEO. He said, yeah, I'd love to connect with them. And that's just an example of there might be a way for him to start a new line of business uh, with this insurance company, uh, or there might be an expansion of that FinTech company over time into a similar space. Um, some other ideas here, you know, what have you been putting off that you know you should have launched. Uh, and it could be a book project, it could be a white paper, it could be doing your first webinar, it could be getting your social media dialed in, which really only takes about half a day. There's no excuse not to do that. Um, it could be organizing your strike zone as an investor or your dashboard or creating your list of family values and posting that above your kitchen table so your kids and your spouse and you look at that every day, et cetera. Um, one thing to think about I found is, uh, you know, what is in demand now? but will also be you know, in, even more in demand in the future. It's gonna be even growing, even more of a growing demand for it. I think thinking a few steps ahead is critical right now because everyone's dealing with this new reality and there's a lot of chaos and confusion, people not knowing where the bottom is, not knowing if things are gonna get better in two or three months or you know, really is school canceled all next year? Well, maybe not officially, but it turns out if you live with old people and there's no real good solution, then do you really want your kids or college kids going to school and then coming back home afterwards? You know, a lot of people are gonna say no. Um, so I think that you know, there's a good potential for this lasting even longer than, than most people are thinking right now. And so figuring out you know, what you could do that's specific to your niche to really excel through that and what's doing well right now that you could support, double down on, joint venture with, grow, uh, help expand, um, and really focus as much energy there as possible, uh, then obviously that could provide you a better ROI, you know, than trying to just wait for things to get anywhere close to back to what was normal before. Also looking at, one thing I've learned from Dan, Dan Sullivan is just uh, looking at your strengths and really saying, okay, where, when am I most productive and I'm excellent and I'm passionate about doing the work and he calls that unique ability. And how do you make sure that new business opportunities are playing off your unique ability all day long? So while it might be a new business or a new division, it plays off of your DNA and strength, which will give you an advantage in that business and also make it a little bit more enjoyable because it might be a lot of hard work getting something up to momentum. And what we usually teach at our workshops is really looking at the combination of what's your biggest strength, but where is there the most future demand and then the lowest competition? And that, that be the type of idea that you act on right now. Um, because if you go into a space that's highly competitive, it doesn't matter how passionate, passionate or excellent you are, you might just be middle of the pack uh, for a long time to climb above everyone else. And if there's not big future demand and growing future demand, then it might not be a great ROI in your time. In terms of reinvesting where growth is, we've been sourcing deals for our clients. We've had um, well over 300 deals come in just in the form of deal teasers, as well as the normal conversations with our team over the last six weeks. And 
you know, there's growth in Amazon-based companies. There's growth in some types of subscription companies. Um, there's growth in companies that have reoccurring revenue related to uh, healthcare and healthcare companies in general uh, have seen, seen growth. And I think that what I found is with some types of subscriptions, if it's $20 a month or under, I've just seen some of them not affected at all. I guess people aren't canceling something at $7 a month. They know that's not going to help them pay their rent. So they're not really going after that. They're looking at things that cost them a lot of money and cost them thousands of dollars a month. Um, and really looking at that the most hard, you know, the hardest. So, you know, reinvesting in areas of growth is pretty, pretty straightforward, but I think a lot of us have created our business around a certain idea that might need to be pivoted or tweaked. And that can be challenging. You know, uh, Peter Thiel has a quote here on the screen. If you're watching visually, that says brilliant thinking is rare, but courage is even short and shorter supply than genius. In other words, there's a lot of really smart people out there. And a lot of people might have some of the plans we're talking about in this webinar, but if you don't take action, you don't have the courage to go in that new direction or to tweak your model or to run a couple experiments in new divisions, then, you know, it doesn't really matter too much that you had a great idea because a lot of armchair experts and few people that take action. You know, Charles Darwin said that uh, it's not the strongest or the fastest that survive. It's the most adaptable. And my friend Ross Thornley has a adaptability quotient uh, exam he uses for companies that you want to invest in or acquire, for talent that you want to bring onto your team, maybe for an executive who's a CEO of a company you may invest in. But you can have them complete this adaptability quotient uh, test, basically, kind of like IQ. It's called AQ. And um, his name is Ross Thornley. And he's out of, the, out of the London, out of the UK, uh, outside of London, actually. And um, so the point of bringing that up is that right now, adapting is what matters more than anything else for most of us that didn't have a business that just took off once all this bad stuff started happening. All right, the, the next idea here is resource investing. This is one of my favorite ones because I think almost everyone can use this. You might really be on the ropes and not be able to use this idea either, but um, we'll, we'll point out one or two ideas uh, where you could use this, even if you are you know, the most stressed out and the most uh, in danger financially than ever before right now. There's a couple ideas here. The first one is acquiring talent from the competition. Maybe the competition has uh, laid off or furloughed a bunch of employees and you want to actively employ someone and pay them more. Um, maybe you could hire commission only talent who might be just be able to work part-time at another job right now, or they're not able to work at all. And you're able to give them a chance to work commission only and earn their spot to be a full-time salaried employee after 30 days, after 90 days, after the economy comes back. Um, it might be a way to grow your sales and keep that overhead really low. Another idea is to fill your warehouse with inventory at 25 to 50% off. If you're a manufacturer, if you buy commodity products, um, if you buy anything in large amounts, $50,000, $100,000 plus of something per year, you can look at those cost items and say, how could I go to that person, that vendor, and say, our revenue is down. I know your, your revenue must be down. Would it be good for both of us to agree on some price where you're selling something to us We'll buy a lot more than we normally do. We'll buy a year or two years worth of this supply, but we need a 25 or 33% discount to make it worth buying all that and having it sit in our warehouse. And in exchange, you give us 25 or 50% off, et cetera. And I know, I know a few people that have been doing that and been able to you know, invest in materials that are gonna make their company more profitable you know, over the next two year period. Similar to people buying the, uh, airline miles from United and American Airlines right now when they're offering a, a bonus of points, your money is appreciated more right now, whether it's in the form of a better valuation, a lower price on goods. Um, the only reason that cash is said to be king is that it can be wise to spend it when no one else is because you get a better return sometimes if you're careful uh, during times of crisis, of course. We did some uh, investor mandate interviews where people brought this up and I remember Erwin uh, brought this up a couple of weeks ago. He said that, you know, you always want to invest when there's blood on the streets, even if some of that blood is your own. It's the way that you're going to recoup and become healthy again by pushing forward and investing when, when other people are not. Um, the other idea I have here is to develop a family office brand. So to reinvest in resources in terms of investing in your investor brand, your family office brand, to attract more deal flow, figure out your family office dashboard, your strike zone. That takes an investment of energy 
maybe you need a little bit of consulting or advice on that. Um, we don't sell consulting on that. If you're an investor client of ours at privateequity.com, we'll help you at no cost on doing that. Um, but getting that put into place is a big time investment. So you can invest in that as a family. Uh, developing your target database so that you know your universe of 472 acquisition targets or 1200 targets or 100 targets that you wanna potentially invest in and developing that actual Excel spreadsheet database or CRM with their contact details so you know the name, the person, the location of all the possible assets that you could acquire that run a stem cell company in Austin or that run a healthcare or a health tech company in Chicago, whatever your niche is as a family office or an investment firm, many people don't take the time to put that together. And it's not only a credible, great story to show investors or show others that you're very thorough in finding the best deals, you will most likely get much better deal flow by mapping that out and investing your own time and energy and maybe a little bit of money and someone helping you research all of that. Next idea here is um, to overinvest in your output, thought leadership, positioning, so you come out of this stronger. So you have more investor relationships than you've ever had before and more investor relationships per month being created, even though you can't meet in person. So the idea here is that you use the digital due diligence ideas that we put out on the first slide to help people gain trust, even though they can't meet you in person right now. Um, and then otherwise you increase the amount of value you're providing to your niche within a niche audience and you increase your strength of positioning. So when people look for an expert in your area, they find you, not your competition, um, and they find you more and more often. So you're either planting more seeds to harvest once the virus you know, lifts partially, or you are actually getting more capital raised uh, than you were even before the virus hit, perhaps, uh, which might be a steep order, I know, for some of you. But what's the alternative? If you can't meet in person, I really don't see an option of not doing these types of things. You could cold, cold call people, um, which in some regulations and some some industries you're not even allowed to do or cold email people, but you know, we all know how well that type of stuff works. So I, I really don't think there's another option for a lot of people who are running an investment management firm besides adding more value to your potential investors who could say yes to you and to your current investors, of course. Uh, developing your due diligence checklist a few layers deeper could be another resource to invest in right now um, because we are all spending less time traveling than we used to. So just getting it to where you have 75 points, 200 due diligence points, uh, et cetera, that goes very deep and is nuanced and is adapted to this new reality we're in could be something that's very helpful. So one person mentioned on an investor mandate interview that one of their uh, due diligence checklists are, is this an essential business or not? And looking at the flow of revenues and profits pre and post virus crisis. So that's an example of adjusting your due diligence checklist. And I know many people have a very informal due diligence process. Now is the time to reinvest in making that more robust and more strong and use that extra time to, to get that dialed in. All right, so we're gonna take questions. Um, before we do, um, I just want to remind people that if you are an investor, you can get access to the best deals that we see that we think are family office quality um, by registering at privateequity.com. Please don't register here if you are raising capital. It's strictly only for investors looking to allocate capital into deals. We only take a performance fee, which means on the upside only. We take no fee on your amount invested. It's just when you cash flow or make money, we take a percentage of your upside gains uh, for connecting you to the best deals that we're able to source. We've usually got four to seven core deals at the center. And then based on who you are and say, if you say, hey, I want to look at self-storage, show me 12 self-storage investment managers you know, then we can go into and see what are the best self-storage investment firms that we knew, that we know through the Family Office Club membership or through doing the capital raising audits for our members every quarter or through our pitchdex.com, um, you know, investor relations agency clients or just groups we've gotten to know over the last decade. Um, and then that's how, that's how we work with our investors at privateequity.com. If you're not a member yet at the Family Office Club, I would encourage you to join. You can go to familyoffices.com. It takes just three minutes to join. You can fill out the form at the bottom of the page at familyoffices.com and get access to our quarterly pitch deck reviews, 150 capital raising strategies, daily investor mandate interviews, weekly virtual investor discussion panels. We've got well over 500 investor mandates recorded in the portal and over 2,000 registered investors in the club, and we're growing very rapidly right now. Um, the other thing I want to show you here is just the login. When you get into the member portal, we've got a nice user interface here if you're following along visually. 
And um, you can use that to navigate our webinars, our investor databases, get listed in our service provider directory, um, get your materials reviewed, and just take advantage of all the benefits we just talked about a minute ago. So thanks for everyone's attention. Uh, I open up the Q&A box here and see what questions you have. Feel free to type in your questions um, now if you haven't already. Uh, we're gonna provide the slides and the video uh, tomorrow morning. We're recording everything. Um, so I'm happy to provide that. You'll see an email coming over uh, from us on that tomorrow. Um, we had a question here earlier I saw about the investor discussion panels. Um, some of those panels have private investors on them. Some of them have multifamily offices and wealth managers on them. Uh, some have angel investors or niche specific investors like oil and gas or healthcare or cannabis or fintech, et cetera. Um, we also had a question about uh, the investors within our club. I see a few questions here about, you know, would your, would your investors be interested in X or Y or Z um, since we have you know, let's see how many we have, like 400 people live on the webinar right now. Um, I don't have time to answer each one of your niches, but with 2,000 plus investors, um, with each of the four investors I onboarded today, each of them were interested in two or three niche areas. So you can imagine with 2,000 investors in the club that, you know, they're going to have an interest in, you know, 8,000 different things with a lot of commonalities between them, essentially. But everyone's going to have their criteria that's slightly different. That's the point of doing the investor mandate interviews, the weekly discussion panels. We've got 15 full-length HD conferences recorded in the portal for you to review. Uh, lots of investor feedback and strategies and structures to hear. Um, but all different types of investors and invest in all different types uh, of deals. Let's see if we have any other questions here. What is the budget to get started and participate in deals? Um, if you're an investor, um, we have some deals that just have a minimum of $25,000, but a lot of the minimums start at $100,000. Uh, we can work with investors that are at a $1 million net worth or higher, um, but at $2.1 million plus net worth is when we can start doing the performance fee only fees. Otherwise, we have to charge uh, more of a normal fee at closing of the deal. So most of our clients are the 2.1 million plus net worth. I think our average client net worth is getting close to 30 million now uh, as the average client net worth. I'm raising funds while I get access. Yes, we get access to the slides. We're gonna send that out tomorrow. What's the minimum size investments? One thing I wanted to mention um, about the minimum investment size is that a lot of investment firms have very large minimum investment si sizes, trying to raise capital from family offices. And I think it's kind of a mistake. I think you can do better by having a lower minimum, especially if you're doing more than one or two deals a year, have them come in on some small amount, get to know you, and then be having a higher minimum for their second investment or third investment, or just let them naturally upgrade if they enjoyed the investment uh, with you the first time. What platform do you use for digital onboarding? Any recommendations for specific software? Um, this is from Hayden. Uh, Hayden, I think I recognize your name as a, a member if I'm not mistaken. So if you wanna email Jennifer, we can look up the software we use within our website, within our, we use uh, WordPress and a plugin in WordPress that allows us to do that. It's like an embedded DocuSign type function. Um, but if you wanna get in contact with Jennifer between Lewis, Jennifer and I, we can get you the name of that, that piece of software that we do. A question from Rick. Do you only work with companies that are seeking investors or do you work with broker dealers who source transactions? Um, in the Family Office Club, we have members of all types. So we have service providers, accountants, lawyers, auditors, um, fund administrators, software providers, different types of consulting firms, placement agents, broker dealer uh, types. We have business brokers, M&A consultants, um, all the above. We also have people that, of course, run private equity firms, private equity funds, real estate development firms, um, real estate independent sponsors, hedge funds, and operating companies that are raising capital. How can I capitalize on the increased demand of delivery companies? Are there companies looking for expansion? Um, it's from Yasir. Uh, that's a pretty specific question. I'm, I'm happy to keep you in mind, you know, if you're an investor looking to invest in delivery companies, um, I actually used to have broker-dealer licenses hung with a group that did 183 pre-IPO pre transactions uh, in a single year. And they sometimes have access to some of these delivery company shares that are not public yet. 
Um, I can't speak for them on whether they have that access and I can't work together with you unless you're registered as an investor, just regulation wise to, to protect myself. Um, but there are some pre-IPO shares typically available in companies that do that type of work. But being like super conservative myself, um, I would just warn you that a lot of those companies are highly unprofitable. They might be growing in revenue, but maybe they're just losing more money than they were before. Uh, maybe their valuations go up, but I have a hard time investing in things that don't make money at the end of the day. Also, um, you know, when the virus does recede in two years, you know, we have to think about what's going to happen and then just think about the return on capital investing in something that's losing money versus something that is. So just an example of things we walk through with our clients. If they want to take risky investments or angel investments or things that are in the red um, because it's related to where they created their wealth, then that might be very smart of them to do. Um, if they, but if we see them before we interact with them and then engage with them and see that they're putting bets down all over the place and angel investment startups and they know nothing about those fields, you know, we often caution them pretty strongly that we wouldn't do that if we were them and to um, maybe find an area of expertise or develop a strategy around what they're doing because many people newly liquid don't, don't have strategies uh, for allocating the small operating companies with them. 2008, some of the best deals were in the finance sector what's currently most distressed. Um, you know, some of the big banks, even some that pay dividends and are pretty strong banks overall had gotten hit pretty hard, but I can't say they're a best deal. I'm not a stock picker. I don't advise people on picking stocks. Even when they engage with me as an investor, we often get access to direct investments, not stocks, not the stock market. Um, I know a few of my investor clients have placed capital in some of the most hard hit stocks, just believing they'll come back and that you know, they got, that people aren't going to let those companies go bankrupt one way or another, they're going to survive. But that's a much riskier approach than a lot of investors want to take. Um, so I don't really want to say what the best deals are because, you know, I don't know you yet, Nick, or know what your risk preferences are. And, you know, someone's going to hear something, take it the wrong way, and then they lose money. I don't want them coming back to us getting upset. Um, you have pay for performance for investors. Uh, yes. So essentially, we only charge money when our investors make money. And if they invest in three deals through us for a million dollars total and one deal would lose money, we have to make them back that money lost before we charge them any fees on any deals across years and across deals. We have to make that money back up uh, to them directly. It's a question from Carl. Can I contact you directly? Um, yes and no. Um, so if you send in your question, um, you know, I'm happy to uh, try to answer that and get back to you and you can send that email. Uh, if you say if, that you have a question for Richard and you really think it needs to be answered by, by me, just send the email into clients, plural, it's clients at familyoffices.com and say, I've got this question for Richard um, that you think maybe only I can answer. We have 14 people on our team. Uh, some of those people are much smarter than I am in a few niche areas where they're specialists. And um, there are other people on the team that are focused on operations, but we've got five, six people that are all day long are just interacting with club members and potential club members to answer questions. So most likely they can answer your question, but I'm happy Carl to see if it's something that, that I do need to answer and be helpful to you either way. Um, is there a similar scheme for people who are pitching investment ideas? Um, I don't usually describe what we do as a scheme, but I mean, joining the family office club, going to familyoffices.com and joining as a member is the offering to help you raise more capital. We equip you with 150 capital raising strategies, full day workshops, feedback on your materials. We have databases of investors. We have advice from investors on how to pitch them straight from the investors' mouths. We have recordings of tons of people that have raised 100 million plus who give away their best strategies on how to raise capital in their short 15 minute talks. You can use those ideas to raise more capital. And by being involved in our community and being on the live webinars and on the virtual investor discussion panels, or doing your capital raise and audit where we review your materials every quarter or being a pitchdex.com investor relations client, we get to know our members and we keep you in mind for when our investors are asking us for something niche. Um, honestly, I think that just building your investor funnel and hearing all the investor feedback in the portal itself is worth $10,000 a year, just that. Um, you know, but you're also getting not only just that feedback and the strategies, but you can connect with investor leads through the portal and get that the live interaction through the panels and webinars, et cetera. So um, obviously I'm biased, but this, that is, I think a really strong offering. Uh, we've tried to build the strongest thing possible we could for people raising capital. Here's uh, Stavros. Um, any patterns among your investors and changes in their investment strategies and appetite shifting to new areas of investment due to the crisis? 
Yeah, great question. So for sure, I've been noticing differences. They don't want to blindly go into apartment building and office park investments without really carefully thinking about whether they're getting a great price or if their downside is managed because they don't know for how many months are people going to be stopped paying their rent at what percentage of companies are going to go bankrupt. Like with the PPP loans, we're just hearing now that maybe only 50% of small businesses that need the help will get it. Like some of my friends have a low employee count, but high office rent and other expenses. Well, they're only helping people based on the payroll coverage. So the company, some of those companies might, might go under uh, that weren't expected to, or if this thing, whole thing lasts longer and there's not more stimulus. So I think people are being cautious of things that were valued before the virus started, of course. Um, but I think more importantly, they're looking at things that haven't been affected at all or are even stronger than ever and saying, how do we get capital into those people's hands to grow even more? Not only for this crisis, but I think that even when this is gone, this is going to have such a mental impact on all of us for the next 30 years of our life that, and look at politically and media-wise what's been happening with this. Um, think about how many times a day you check the news now compared to December last year. Um, and so I think they're going to start naming these viruses like hurricanes and saying, oh, we got this new virus coming out of the Philippines or this new virus coming out of you know, Brazil, et cetera. And they're going to start naming these things like hurricanes and tracking them much more because they need to be tracking them more and being much more prepared. And then there'll be the political heroes that lock down their state before anyone else and take the lead on that charge. And this is not the last time we're going to be locked down is my thesis. That's why it's smart, I think, to consider investing in companies doing better than ever because in four years, this might happen again for another two years or another nine months. I don't know. But if it's a company that was already existing, doing okay in the quote unquote past normal world, and now they're doing even better, then okay, if we do somehow go back to what was past normal, then they're still a profitable good business. You know, I think investors are most interested in those, not the guy who's flipping masks or 3D printing ventilators, you know, in mass production somewhere and trying to like arbitrage people's shortage of medical supplies, but he didn't have a real business before that. Um, you know, people aren't really as excited to invest in something like that. Lending is more of interest. And I went over many ideas earlier in the webinar. I'm not sure if you missed some of those or not, but many of those other ideas as well are, are getting interest. What is the general interest for impact investments? I think there's a big interest in it. It just has to not be a fake impact investment or like a greenwashing thing where you call, you know, buying an apartment complex, fixing it up and raising the rents on everyone in impact investment because now they have nicer countertops to live, live next to. Um, most people wouldn't say that's an impact investment unless there's something else where you're helping people or, you know, reserving three of those apartments for temporary stays for battered wives or for, you know, helping people get back on their feet uh, from some crisis or something, then it wouldn't be considered an impact investment. So just be careful on that. Um, somebody's asking a very specific question about an educational business. Any advice? It's from Daniel. Um, I'd go to people that made their money in education. I want to answer this in a way that others would benefit, but I would, I would try to raise capital from people that already know you, are somewhat local to the education business if it has a physical location, or have already invested in online education companies before. That's where I'd start with 80% of your energy. So you have one or two more questions, and we're going to wrap this up here. With the increase of person, people defaulting on rent, is there less appetite for real estate investment? or is the potential reduced? I don't think there's less appetite. I think it's just people being careful, not knowing where the bottom is. I think they were feeling like they hit the, they hit the pause button in March and part of April, just to see when some businesses will be able to open back up again and just see how bad it is. But with the right type of deal, the right trust in the team, the right structure, the right collateral or income component, um, people are still getting deals done right now. Um, but I think a lot of people don't know if Things are going to reprice hard or just a little bit in the real estate segment. And it's looking more and more like there is going to be a repricing that's moderate to pretty hard. So investors don't want to be dumb rushing into something that hasn't repriced yet, unless there's some very good logic on why to do that. Here's another question from Andres. What mechanism do you often see for exit scenarios? Um, how do you best protect yourself to have liquidity in times of financial stress for one of the partners or the failed partnership altogether? Well, even though it's harder to raise capital than ever, it's a time where you might want to be putting down more equity and less debt, obviously. Uh, the debt is cheaper, but if you want to de-risk you know, the project blowing up and losing the whole asset, 
then maybe only putting 50% debt, 50% equity and refinancing later, or maybe um, structuring something so it's just much more conservative might be appreciated by the investors and make you sleep at night that you're gonna be fine and ride, ride through it. Um, we interviewed somebody who's an investor in multifamily today, uh, Dylan, and he was talking about his criteria and they're usually going to mid to uh, middle to upper middle class apartment buildings so a lot of them are still working right now. They weren't working at restaurants and movie theaters, et cetera. And that's protected them so far uh, from this. Um, but I think that has to be built into structure plus strategy plus collateral plus, you know, who's signing on the balance sheet terms with the bank, et cetera. All right, great. I think that's all the time we have for questions today. I know we didn't get to everybody's question, but I think we got to most of them here. So thank you for your attention. Um, if you are raising capital or looking to meet investors, please register at familyoffices.com uh, to become a charter member in the Family Office Club. The application form is at the bottom of the homepage of familyoffices.com. And if you're an investor, it just takes about three to four minutes to sign up. There's no obligation uh, to invest or cost to register as an investor, but it's not for people raising capital. Uh, and that website is privateequity.com. Thanks for everyone's attention and uh, we'll see you on the next webinar and hopefully on this Thursday's virtual investor discussion panel. Bye.